This morning we are continuing a study which we began last week and which we will be doing for the next uh, four weeks after this as well, through the month of December, up through Christmas Sunday, entitled Putting God in His Place. And um, this really, this series of messages follows on the heels of um, the series we just recently completed in Mark chapter 11 to 13, where we um, were looking at kingdom shift, restoring right priorities. And so um, this particular series that we're looking at about putting God in his place really builds on that series of messages and really um, intended to get into very, um, very specifically into the area of application around various areas of our lives. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at the second area um, that uh, is essential, essentially a part of our lives, part of our daily living. Last week, we looked at recreation. And if you weren't here, let me encourage you to sign up for the CD or sign up uh, or, or download it off of the uh, website, but um, I think there was some very specific and particular word that we as a congregation needed to hear, and, um, you know, I don't know in 20 years of ministry whether I've ever preached a message on recreation, and it seemed to connect with a lot of different folks, and so um, if you weren't here, or if you're just hearing this particular message, let me encourage you to get the prior message. Um, because I think it will be significant uh, for you kind of in discovering um, rhythm in terms of our lives, because God intended us to discover His unforced rhythms of grace, and um, a lot of us are out of sync and out of rhythm, and the results of that are very evident in our lives. Now this morning, um, we're going to be specifically looking at the area of occupation. Um, For some of you, that is your job. For some of you, right now, your occupation is uh, study, um, in preparation, hopefully, for future work. Um, For some of you, your occupation is at home. Uh, You may be a stay-at-home parent, but um, all of us... uh, have areas uh, of our life where we are actually working. And so um, we're going to look at that this morning, and then over the following weeks, we will complete our uh, priority wheel by looking at friendships, finances, family, and ministry. And let me, again, orient you to the priority wheel, um, because I think, again, for many of us, we have all through our life been taught and have thought about our priorities as a list. And so we have this list of priorities that we are constantly rearranging and shuffling, um, and depending on how spiritual we feel or how things are going at home or on the job or in other places, we might have things might move up the list or down the list or, you know, there's all kinds of ways. But, But what I would contend to you today is that Having a priority list is a setup for you to live sort of in a constant place of guilt or and or frustration 
because you're constantly trying to, you know, update the list and you're trying to figure out where you are on the list and you're constantly worried about whether things are properly oriented on that list. And what I would contend to you this morning is that when you understand your priorities as a wheel where God is at the center, then he will orient your life appropriately and properly in all of these various areas. In other words, God wants to be at the center of your recreation. God wants to be at the center of your occupation. He wants to be at the center of your friendships and your finances and your family and your ministry. God, you know, as somebody has so beautifully said, God really believes that he's God. And because he believes that he's God, he actually believes that he owns you, which he does. When you come to him, it says you have been purchased by God through Christ, through the blood of Christ. You have been purchased. You are no longer your own. You're his. And therefore, he is the one who gets to properly orient your life as it relates to the priorities of your lives. Again, whether it's in your recreation, occupation, or all of these other areas. So this morning, we are specifically going to look at this area of your and my occupation because this is an area which is very significant to most of our lives because most of us spend a great deal of our time in the midst of our occupation. But many of us do not have an orientation where we actually understand very clearly how your occupation fits into this calling of being a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ. All right? So, here's the question that we're going to try to answer this morning. The question is this. How do we bridge the gap between Sunday morning and Monday morning? Now, that's assuming you go to work on Monday. All right? So... You can fill in the blank. It might be between Sunday morning and Sunday afternoon if you happen to go to work in the afternoon. All right? How do we bridge the gap between Sunday morning and Monday morning? How many of you realize that there is a gap? <laughs> There's a gap. There is a yawning chasm in many people's lives between Sunday morning and Monday morning. So we need to take a look at that and rediscover what our occupation, how, what that has to do with our life in Christ. Now, there are three common solutions that people use to bridge the gap between Sunday morning and Monday morning. So listen carefully to these solutions. Here are the three solutions 
to bridging the gap. The first solution is this. Commuting back and forth between two worlds. For many people, the solution to the gap between Sunday morning and Monday morning is to become a commuter. So I kind of go back and forth between my Christian life, my life of what I'm experiencing here on a Sunday morning, and the rest of my life, my real life, that I live throughout the week. And so people commute back and forth between the two. Now here is the problem with that solution. It amplifies the problem of seeing the world through two lenses, a sacred and a secular lens. So what I'm doing here on Sunday morning, that's the sacred thing that I'm doing, and then i got to go back out and work in my, quote, secular job. And so I'm constantly sort of compartmentalizing my lives, and I live in this dichotomy between what's happening on Sunday morning and, and what's happening on Monday morning, or what even happens early Monday morning before you go to work and you do your devotions, and then it's like, oh, I'm sorry, now I have to go to my secular job. And you flip in your head. Okay? Anybody, you know, you live there. I've been there. I've done this. I've worked, quote, unquote, secular job. I know what the gap feels like and what it means to feel like you're a commuter between the two. The second common solution is to discount the value of work as less important than spiritual matters. Well, I'm just going to work. I'm doing my work so I can pay my bills so that I can really get involved with the important things, the spiritual things. Because that's where the action really is. And so the action certainly isn't where I'm working. So I'm going to just discount the value of my work as less important than those spiritual matters. Now here's the issue that rises with that. It, it leads to a, a loss of dignity and a vague sense of guilt. The loss of dignity is because, well, my work is unimportant and not very valuable, so I don't have very much value, I don't have a whole lot of dignity, and, and I'm always feeling this kind of vague sense of guilt because, man, if I was really spiritual, I'd be able to give up this secular job and go do something for the Lord. Okay? Getting it? Third common solution. Discount the value of faith and its potential to impact the real world. This is sort of the opposite side of the coin. Yeah, well, you know, I... I plug my time card on Sunday morning. Thankfully, I go to Bethel Christian Fellowship, so I get, um, you know, I get extra credit and overtime every week. Okay? It's wonderful. All right? So I plug, my, I plug my time card, and then, you know, I go back into the real world. And I, I sort of, you know, that's lovely. I do that on Sunday morning, but now I got to live in the real world. 
Well, here's the problem with that. It leads to, obviously, as a secular view of work, where success is measured by wealth, recognition, and status. And so we get totally consumed and subsumed into a culture around us that elevates wealth, recognition, and status as the only things that actually have significance and importance, and that's how I'm going to measure success in my life. And it really doesn't matter how many heads I have to stand on to get to the top of the ladder. All right. I would say that all three of those common solutions are inadequate. They're very real. They're very common. You know, you've worked all these out in your head, right? You just needed somebody to put them up there so you can see, okay? But, right? Is this not true? Is this where you and I live? I mean, come on. This is real. So what I'd like to do this morning is unpack for you another way, another solution that I think and I hope and I pray can kind of actually truly bridge this gap in your mind, in your heart, in your spirit, in your life. But we're going to have to do some work together, okay? So we're going to work this morning for just a moment, and so would you please come along with me now, carefully, and um, if you've got something to write some stuff down on, that would be really helpful, or find somebody near you who's got a piece of paper and say, please, can I borrow a piece of paper? Because I'd like you to actually take these and spend some time thinking about them and really um, digging in, all right? I'm going to give you a very quick biblical theology of work. A biblical theology of work. We're not going to spend a huge amount of time here, but we need to lay a foundation, just as we did with recreation. We need to build a foundation for God at the center of our occupations. Okay? In the beginning, God. Remember, we, that's where we started last week. And that's really where we could start every week because... That sets us and centers us right where we need to be centered at the very beginning in terms of everything that we're going to be talking about. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now the end of the creation account happens here in Genesis chapter 2, 2 and 3. By the seventh day, God had finished the what? The what? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. What did he do? The work. God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now that also provides us again the foundation for recreation, and so these two are inextricably linked to one another. But where I'm pressing our point this morning is, is that God worked. 
Not only did he work, he continues to work. This is another scripture we looked at last week. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For him, in, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So God continues to work first in creation and then in sustaining that which he has created. God works to keep all of this going. He continues to work. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Working the will and purposes of the father, which are to reconcile all things to himself, to bring all things back to him. Jesus was about the work of the father He is continuing to do and continued to do that work because here's the point that I want you to hear. Because God is a worker. And because God is a worker, your work matters to God. Because God is a worker, your work All right, let's continue. Are you, are you with me so far? You hearing? Okay, this is a really significant thing that we need to hold on to and let resonate deep down. Then God said, now we're back into Genesis, let us make, so, so we've talked about God and his work, now we're going to talk about us. We have to understand our place then in this broader purposes of God as it relates to work, and it's found right here in the beginning again. God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said... I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And then in Genesis 2, two verses, verse 8 and 15, now the Lord had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man that he had formed, and the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it, to what? To work it and take care of it. Now let me clear up a theological fallacy that I think we live under which colors how we understand work. Work is not a result of the curse. That's a theological fallacy 
that we've bought into because we misread Genesis. God established work before the fall. Now, because of the fall, it's become harder. There's toil, there's effort, there's, you know, it, it, weeds came along, all right? But work itself was never cursed. God never cursed work. So, our work is a gift. It's a gift. And it's an extension of God's work and adds value into the world. Now that may take you a little while to get there. Emotionally. Even intellectually. Certainly spiritually. It might take you a while to get there. But I really want this to resonate and I invite you to kind of pray into this and actually you might even want to begin to do some very targeted specific prayer around this in your own life where you begin to ask the Lord to help you discover first of all to help you make the shift in your understanding to say my work is a gift Some of you, those words will feel like sawdust in your mouth. What? I work a gift? Are you kidding? Do you know where I work? Do you know what I do? But to begin to say, Lord, okay. Help me understand my work is a gift. Secondly, help me understand how my work adds value into the world. There is no work, well, no legitimate work that doesn't add value into the world. When I first came to Bethel Christian Fellowship all those years ago, which was 25 years ago, one of the very first 20, what? 6? 27? 26? 27? 27 years ago. All right. Some of you know that when Annette and I first moved here, we came and attended this church. And I was doing a seminary internship which had a number of different components to it. Um, one of which I was working here doing bookkeeping. I was also working visiting the older folks in the church and I also did caretaking work. I have cleaned every toilet in this building. Every single one. And you know what? I was adding value into the world. I was adding value into the, you know, I have cleaned, I've, you know, I've worked in a factory. I've cleaned factory toilets. Okay? I've done all of those kind of what would considered menial tasks? There's nothing menial about that. That adds value into the world. It's a part of 
taking care. Okay? I just use that illustratively because that's my life. You all have worked different stuff too. Okay? But I want you to kind of grasp and grab hold of this again. Your work is a gift, an extension of God's work, and it adds value into the world. So be encouraged. Right? What you do matters to God. Because God is a worker, your work matters. All right. Everybody with me so far? Okay. Now, we've had a biblical theology of work. Let me give you, let me reframe something in your head to help you get a biblical perspective on work. Okay, so we've started kind of with that theological foundation. Now I want to, now I want to put some walls up. Okay, I want to, I want to actually put some structure around your and my work. All right? Biblical perspective on work. First of all, we need to understand the distinction between two words which we commonly end up sort of conflating together, which are two separate things that are integrally interrelated with one another, but are not identical words. Okay? First, vocation. Vocation. Vocation is what we are called to be. Vocation has to do with what you are called to be. To be. Peter writes this. He says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His wonderful light. Now, this is taken right out of Exodus. Um, Peter's writing there, and, and, and in Exodus, of course, it writes, Moses' writing says that we are called to be a kingdom of priests. So your vocation as a believer, what you are called to be, is God's servant and priest bringing glory to Him. You are called to be a servant and of Christ, and a priest, what does a priest do? A priest is one who brings the needs of the people to God and brings the comfort and word and exhortation and correction, whatever it is, of God to people. And so a priest in that sense becomes an intermediator, an, 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 an ambassador, the better word for us New Testament wise, an ambassador for God. And so, our calling, what we are called to be, 
is God's servants and priests always bringing glory to Him. That's your vocation. Now, you fulfill your vocation in lots of different occupations. What you are called to do. Your occupation has to do with what you do, what, what, what God's given you, what particular task he's placed in your hands. Ecclesiastes, I know that there's nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all of their toil. This is the gift. So in terms of your occupation, here's the takeaway for you. I love this saying of Dorothy Sayers. Work is not primarily a thing one does to live, but the thing that one lives to do. How he's shaped you, how he's created you, the way that he's made you, this then is the expression, this is the thing then that you begin to do. God's given you certain abilities. He's given you certain um, skill sets. He's given you certain passions. He's given you certain gifts. All of those get translated into meaningful work, things that one does. Now, let's put those two together, vocation and occupation. Here's a scripture for you to think about. 1 Corinthians 7, 20-24. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although, if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who is free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Now, there's a whole host of cultural context here that we could go into which would be helpful for us to understand. You know, in the Roman Empire, under Roman rule... You know, there were millions of people who were living as slaves of the empire. And what Paul is saying here is that particular position which you have as a slave, that doesn't define who you are. That doesn't define who you are. God defines who you are. But in the midst of whatever that occupation is, no matter what that looks like in your life, and whether it is something in this case, he's even speaking to people who's having this imposed upon them, he says you can still work out your calling, your vocation, in the context of whatever that occupation is. Ben Patterson has done a real helpful um, sort of contemporary paraphrase of this particular scripture. It goes like this. 
Were you working the night shift at the parking lot when you were called? Do you hate your job? No big deal. If you get the chance to change jobs, go ahead and take it. But don't get so agitated trying to change your occupation that you lose sight of your vocation. So here's the thing. As Christians, our occupation becomes a place to pursue our vocation, which, let me remind you, your vocation is to be what? A servant and a priest of God, bringing glory to Him. Now, here's where things can get dicey in terms of application. So then what you're saying to me, Pastor, is that my position at work is to be used for me to be a platform for me to disseminate all of the information that I need to disseminate about the nature and character and who God is and all of this. And and so... Probably the takeaway here for me this morning is he's going to give me a stack of tracks. And I'm going to have to go and pass those out at work. No. That's not what we're going to do. Because that would be a very narrow understanding of what it means to be a servant and a priest and bringing glory to God through your unique character and passion and gifting and skill. So let's unpack this just a bit more because we we really have to get to this in order to understand the vocation, occupation thing. So I'll circle back, and hopefully this will be clear to each of you. Okay? Everybody hanging so far? With? Everybody all right? Doing good? Okay. So let's talk about the biblical mandate for work. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now we're in Colossians 3. Verses 22 to 24. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it, listen to this, not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord that you are serving. Let that one just sink in for just a minute. In fact, I'm going to read the verses 22 to 24 again. Listen, slaves, but let's change it to workers. Workers, obey your bosses in everything and do it, not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart, reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for your human boss, Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, 
It is the Lord that you are serving. So here's how this gets translated into your and my practical daily life. First of all, what I want you to hear is, you've got a new boss. And it isn't the person whose name is in the square on the org chart, or the person that you are reporting to, or all of those things. You have a new boss. As a believer in Jesus Christ, that boss is Jesus Christ. As believers, our boss is Him. We serve Him as we serve those who He's placed over us. So our serving of Him is expressed on the horizontal, practical level as we serve those who God has placed over us. Now, I know, you don't know my boss. (laughs) No, I don't. But I've worked for a whole lot of different bosses in my life. I understand. But here's where it's helpful. When you begin to understand you have a new boss that can contextualize the current boss that you have, puts things in proper perspective, begins to change. Okay, listen to this. It means also that you have a new work ethic. Here's one of the most tragic statistics that I've run across in, in I ran across this statistic several years ago, and I, I don't know the most updated, so but the, a study was done several years ago between churchgoers and non-churchgoers, and we were just, Norm was giving us some statistics about Bible reading. Well, this was happened to be about churchgoers and non-churchgoers as it related to their ethics on the job. They found zero discernible difference. No discernible difference between the ethics and morals of those who were churchgoers. Now, I don't know that they were going after, quote, born-again believers, but they were going after quote, religious, spiritual people, there was no difference between them and the world. That's frightening. A new work ethic means that we work with diligence and excellence. Now, I'm always careful about using my kids illustratively, but I think I mentioned this back a few weeks ago. I'll just mention it again. We... My kids put out a flyer um, in the neighborhood to do jobs because Claire would like to earn money to go on the missions trip and Noah would like to earn money because he likes, you know, it's just nice to be able to earn some money. All right? It's a good thing. Okay, he's not quite thinking the missions trip yet, but he's, you know, but he's putting it in the bank account. All right, that's good. So so we're, we're working. Well, what we, part of what that is is um, leaf raking. Okay? Now, we're charging, we we came up with a system where they're charging by the bag. So when they load up a bag, they get X amount of dollars for the bag. Right? Now, this is ripe for, you know, 
Because you can put in leaves, you know, you can put in a pile of leaves and you can fill up the bag in like nothing. But we know that to work with diligence and excellence, you take that bag and you push those leaves down and you keep pushing those down until, you know, and you keep, you put more in and you keep pushing it down until that bag is truly full. And when you rake up the leaves, you know, when you rake up the leaves, you rake up the leaves and you put them in the bag and when you're all done putting all of that in, there's still this remnant of the, you know, there's the leavings of the leaves still there, all right? You rake again and you put them in the bag and then you rake one more time because you're going to do it with excellence. All right? Now, this isn't rocket science. But I want my kids to know that when you work, you work with diligence and excellence. There's a great story of Charles Spurgeon when they were, you know, and can you imagine? Well, anyway, Charles Spurgeon, pastor great preacher, famous, you know, whatever. And when you were going to become a member, you had to go before the board of elders or deacons with him there and prove that you were a believer and that your life had been transformed and that you were really a part of the people of God. Okay, so this was, I mean, this was not a light matter to become a member, all right? So a maid, an uneducated maid came and wanted to become a member And they asked her, well, how can you prove that your life has been transformed? She said, before I was a believer, I took the dust, when I was sweeping up the dust, I took some of it and I swept it under the rug. I don't do that anymore. They said, that's enough. That's proof. Even when no one's looking, I love this, another story about the, the guy who, who, um, who was the sculptor of the Statue of Liberty. If you look on the very top of the head of the Statue of Liberty, you'll notice that her hair is perfectly coiffed and done and all just perfect. Well, he was doing this back when there was no possibility, you know, no one had dreamt up helicopters or that there would be anybody that would ever see the top of her head, it would have been pretty simple just to leave her head sort of bare on the top. You know, she's got the crown thing going and nobody's going to see anything else. But no, he knew that it was important to finish the work right. To do it with excellence and diligence. So I want to challenge you. I mean, this is one of the ways that you bring glory to God is by doing your job well. The world is all about rights. We're about responsibility. It's not about how much can I get away with, it's how much can I pour in. It's doing, it's the above and beyond. 
Hello? That's how your vocation gets translated into your occupation. That's how you're bringing glory to God. Francis of Assisi, preach always. If necessary, use words. Your job is you do your job well. You're preaching. You're showing. You're revealing. You're giving. Got it? All right. A new integration. What does this mean? As believers, our work, which is done unto God, is sacred. Your work is no less sacred than my work. What you do unto God is as sacred as the person who's doing, quote, full-time ministry, because we're all in full-time ministry. You're not a part-time believer. I hope that's the commuting thing. That's the devaluing your work, or that's the devaluing your faith. That's the solutions that don't work. So when I'm talking about a new integration, it's integrating your faith and your life in Christ as a part of the fabric of who you are, which gets expressed in your work. So... Believers ought to be the most creative, the most, I mean, oh, I'm going to start to want to preach in a minute. Okay, but, you know, Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of God is poured out, your young men will dream dreams, your old men will see visions. Those are, for spiritual purposes, I believe those are also for work purposes. I believe that God wants believers to be among the most entrepreneurial and the most creative and and in your job whatever it is now i have done menial jobs and you know my mind works all the time so even in the menial jobs i was figuring out new ways to do them better figure out new ways to do a better job at what you do so don't get all caught up in oh my gems and to drink and whatever and you know well, your boss just loves to hear that. That's the surefire way to a promotion right there. Right? You all right? Everybody okay? All right. A new paycheck. As believers, God is our ultimate provider, not our employer. Your employer is not your provider. God is. Gives you work to do. Thank you, God, for giving me the work that you've given me to do. Thank you for the paycheck I received from that. But ultimately, God, you are my provider. You are my inheritance. You are the one who I trust for all of my needs. So, this is a change of perspective. This is a change. This is the biblical mandate for work, which helps you, helps with that perspective of vocation and occupation. Okay? Is this making sense? You getting this? All right. I think this is pretty vital stuff. 
and it's a part of putting God in his place. So I'm going to close with this. Some practical suggestions for bridging the gap. Here's just some very simple things that I would encourage you and invite you to do. I've already encouraged you and invited you to do one of those, which is prayer. Begin to pray about your job. Now, long, long, long time ago, I came across this prayer during a 50-day spiritual adventure. I like this prayer. Lord Jesus, you know that I live in a two-boss world. Conflicting voices call for my allegiance, but yours is the one I choose to obey. Help me to please you today by upholding your standards, resist temptation, and faithfully represent you in all that I do. I claim the promise of your presence this day as I go about my work. Christ, you are my ultimate authority. It just, it's part of that shifting your mindset for today at work. Yep, there's a lot of voices coming at me. There's a lot of things. But Lord, yours authority is the one that I choose. Scripture. Jesus continually used daily life illustrations. If you begin to read the scriptures, particularly just begin in the Gospels, well, oh, that's right. We're going to be doing that, aren't we? Oh, think of that. We're going to start doing that in January. We're going to be reading the Bible. Whoa. Well, here's one of the things you can begin to do. You can begin to let his word speak into your everyday life. And it will. Third reflection. An unreflected upon life. Not much growth that will happen there. How about at the end of your day? Or the end of a work week, just invite the Holy Spirit to check over your work. What did I do well? What could I have done better? What did I do well this week? How, you know, in terms of my actual performance, the things that I needed to do, in terms of just the very practical things, how did I interact with people? How, how, was, how was that working? Would you allow, would you invite the Holy Spirit into this very significant place in your life and say, Lord, help me? That'd be all right. Oh, no. Don't want him. Don't be meddling. Come and let him meddle. Yeah, good. Let him meddle. What's working well? What's not working well? Lord, what can I do better? How could I change? How could I respond differently in that situation? Lord, you know, and, and here's where the recreation thing comes in, too. The recreation is important. Now, you know, you know that this works with prayer. The minute you're going to set aside time for prayer, you have a hundred good thoughts, okay? But the same thing happens with play and recreation. When, you're just, when your mind is untethered from, like, you're trying to work on a problem and work on a problem and work on a problem and you can't get a solution to it, here's my encouragement to you. Go out and play. And whatever, you know, and, and things have a way of suddenly you'll start, you'll see something you didn't see before, a connection will happen, and wow, okay? It's like the same thing with studies, okay? I mean, I've done a lot of study in my life, more than I really, really wanted to do, but I've done a lot of study, okay? And sometimes I'm just blocked. I can't figure it out. I can't go, well, I can keep on ramming my head into the wall, or I can just stop, reflect, rest, Sleep on it, literally, or just pull back 
And suddenly, bingo! Right? What's happened to you? Okay? So, reflection. And finally, relationship. How about finding connection with other believers with similar occupations who can provide support and accountability? Start developing those connections. Those connections will bring life into your work. All right? So, prayer, scripture, reflection, and relationship. These are ways in which your work can begin to be transformed and you can bridge the gap. Because guess what? We need to eliminate the gap between Sunday morning and Monday morning. Amen? I didn't hear you. Amen? I didn't hear you. Amen? Let's eliminate that gap. Come on up, worship team, this morning, and maybe you're at a place this morning where you recognize you've been using one of those solutions that we began the message with. You've been a commuter. You've been devaluing either your work or your faith. The Lord says, I want to give you a new perspective, a new approach. We're going to start with the song, uh, Kathy, we're going to start with the song that they, um, that the worship team did just before the message. That just feels like, so Jesus, all for Jesus, worship team, that's where we're going to begin, and then we'll go into the other closing songs, but um, I surrender all into your hands, and so I'm going to invite you to stand up right now, if you would, where you are, and...